So, over this summer, Steve Chalk, who is our senior minister, he's away this morning, has set us this challenge of choosing a song that would be our one desert island track, or our inheritance track, something that has changed us, or speaks to us, or haunts us, or compels us, and to talk to you about it for 25 minutes. So that's what I'm going to try and do this morning. So the song that I've chosen, um, as it turns out, was the first um, talk that I ever gave in a church when I was about 24 and was under the impression that I knew everything. Um, I decided not to try and find my notes um, to see what I said back then. Um, actually, the song is, in some respects, a bit of a cliche, so I kind of thought of it and then rejected it and thought it must be something a little bit more kind of profound or um, musically knowledgeable or something else that I could talk about. But this song kind of kept coming back into my mind and I thought actually um, I have some fairly simple things to say this morning from it but it's um, I think something that for me has been a, a compelling idea um, and kind of a haunting song really that calls me to something. And so that's what I want to share this morning. Um, I think it's a song that's about a way of being in the world that I belong to be and something that I kind of wish the whole world would lean towards. As a clue, it is a U2 song, and that's the cliche. Um, I don't know if many of you have heard Christians give sermons on U2 songs before, and they do tend to lend themselves, um, I think, um, to this, because I think there's something about the way in which um, Bonnie writes, um, that he speaks about things that are universal human aches, and he thinks it does that, um, it does it in the music as well as in the lyrics. It calls to something in us, um, calls to something of our soul that kind of jumps out towards it. And in my experience, um, you two have written a lot of songs that do that. In fact, incidentally, Bono teamed up with um, a, a theologian and then a translator of the Bible called Eugene Peterson to um, make a whole series of materials around the Psalms. And, and that's not a surprising fit for me, the Psalms are um, kind of what I described there, the, the songs, the things that pull out of us, speak to our hearts, not just to our heads. And so it doesn't surprise me that someone who has spent their life making music that makes stadiums full of people um, rise towards it, that, that he would um, have a natural attraction to the songs. So, you'll all be guessing which YouTube track I have chosen. So I'm going to put you out of your misery and we're going to listen to it now. I don't know how many of you watched the BBC series by Jimmy McGovern called Broken. Anyone a fan? A few at all. In that case, I'm going to try really hard not to give anything away from what I say, because if you've not had the chance to watch it, you really should. It's an amazing series. I did check last night, and unfortunately it's not on iPlayer anymore, and I'm sure you could pay some money and watch it instead, but it's really worth it. It tells the story in six episodes of a priest called Father Michael in some unidentified northern city. Um, and it's little vignettes, little stories that begin to interlink of people's lives, people who are in trouble, um, people who've had tragedy happen to them, people who are often locked in shame. And it's the interaction, particularly of Father Michael, through the middle of these people's lives that really captured me. Um, he's a figure of grace through these stories. He's, he's, a, he's a fighter, he's a champion for people, he's 
bothered about injustice, but he's also this figure of grace. He encourages people to make, build bridges towards each other. He, he speaks of forgiveness. What's interesting is the whole way through, he himself is kind of tortured by stuff that's going on for him. So with his mother, with the priest he taught at the school where he went as a boy, um, and actually with something that he's done or omitted to do that really haunts him. So for all the time that he is this figure of grace towards other people, he has to, to work to find that kind of grace or compassion for himself. And it's not clear whether he's looking for absolution or maybe retribution um, through some of it. So he's a complex figure. And so I was listening to this song this week. I thought, if there's one place where Bono gets it slightly wrong in this song, for me, um, it's that grace isn't always easy. It doesn't just glide through the world. There's something about that song, the nature of the music that it's put to, that um, grace is this kind of shining figure um, who, who everything she touches and is healed and she glides effortlessly through. And um, you don't need me to tell you that grace isn't effortless for most of us. Um, but the world is complex. Um, last night we saw pictures from Charlottesville of um, people, white supremacists, um, marching. We saw violence directed not from every side but towards people of colour and those who support them. And we saw hatred, and that's the world that we live in, that's the reality. Um, and so, grace still compels us to respond out of love and not out of hate, even in difficult circumstances. But it's not simple and it's not straightforward for us very much of the time. So, why did I choose this song? I think one of the reasons this song speaks to me is that I'm not very naturally talented at grace. Um, maybe that's something that resonates for you. Um, either towards myself or towards other people. I am naturally talented at criticism and judgment. <laughs> Shame, perhaps we all are. When I was about 24, the first kind of proper job I got had the job title editor. This suited me very well. Um, because I'm really good at building a red pen. I'm very good if you show me a piece of work. I will silently often appreciate the very many wonderful things about it, but out loud I'll tell you one or two things that you probably could improve upon or that weren't quite right. And I know that about myself. So I've um, progressed in my job and led teams with people and an organisation. I've had to learn that actually um, teams don't thrive with criticism, funnily enough. Um, I've had to learn how to put the red pen away sometimes um, because it's something that I find very easy to reach for. Um, so none of us thrive, actually, under criticism. Shame is something that doesn't help us to change. It locks us in, often to the place that we are. And criticism and judgment don't help us heal. Brené Brown is a writer that I really enjoy, and she's written a lot. She's a social researcher, a writer and a speaker, and if you check out her TED Talks, they're on shame, vulnerability and courage. They're amazing, but this is something that she says. Shame corrodes the very part of us that believes we're capable of change. 
If we can't share our story with someone who responds, if we can share our story with someone who responds with empathy and understanding, shame can't survive. Put another way, grace always trumps shame every time. And that's why I wanted to talk about this song, because I don't think I'm alone in being a person who rushes easily to shame and for whom I need constantly to hear a word of grace that will give me the possibility of change where shame doesn't. This song has a, a lyric that was on the screen earlier that grace, it's the name for a girl, it's also a thought that changed the world. So this morning I wanted to give us kind of three very brief thoughts about how grace changes the world. If you've been around in churches for a while, you will probably recognise the author Philip Yancey. He wrote a book a very long time ago, probably about 2000 or 2001, called What's So Amazing About Grace? And um, it's been reprinted. It's one of the best-selling uh, Christian books out there. So I reached for it this week to uh, see what Yancey's definition of grace was. And he says, He'd been through lots of different kind of theological paths and lots of um, work, lots of thinking behind this, but what he comes down to is a very simple statement. Grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more and nothing we can do to make God love us less. So grace begins with how we see ourselves, or maybe more accurately, it begins with how we imagine God sees us. Grace tells us that the truest thing about us is not that we're flawed or broken, but that we are deeply loved. And Grace tells us that the truest thing about us is not that we're flawed or broken, but that we're deeply loved. Now I've been a Christian since I was a child, I've grown up in a Christian family, and so I think I've heard about the theological concept of grace and the definition of grace since I was a child, I was very good at Sunday school quizzes, um, so I probably could have told you the difference between grace and mercy, all of these things. But I think that I'm only learning slowly how God sees me through eyes of grace. And I have, a, I have a friend named Richard, who I met probably about 12 years ago, when um, I wasn't in a great place, and I um, was going to an Anglican church, and I asked the curate there, if she knew anyone who was a spiritual director, he might sit with me and, and talk with me. And um, so I met actually her husband, Richard, and he and I have met every couple of months for the last 12 years. And um, despite all my head knowledge about grace, I think all I needed was a Richard. He was a person through whom I have experienced grace. And so that's one thing that we can do for each other. And maybe it's something that we have to seek out for ourselves as well. That so I met him at a point where I was a lot about myself I didn't really like. Um, there's a lot of ways in which I judged myself. And he has held space without judgment. I don't know if you have someone like this in your life, but he's held a space without judgment, which means it's been possible for me to face some things that I was ashamed of, to think about things that I didn't really want to easier to push away um, than to dive into. So 
and he's only ever responded with grace and with love and with kindness. And he tells me the good things he sees in me when I kind of focus on the, the things that I'm, are not good. Um, and it's been a liberating thing and experience. So, so grace is something when we need to see ourselves through God's eyes, and I suppose my point is that's something we can help each other with um, in the way that we relate to each other. And so have people in your life who are able to show you how God sees you. I read earlier from, uh, Simon read from John chapter 8, and that story feels like a little bit of cliche to do on a, a sermon about grace, but um, I wanted to, to read it because I, that story sparks my imagination a little bit. People often talk about that story um, in terms of what is it that Jesus was writing on the ground. So the woman is brought, he's been caught in adultery and therefore she'll be stoned. And a side note, caught in adultery might mean very many things. She's certainly not in a position of power. Um, so she's very, very likely a victim of the press in this situation. So here she is. Um, and Jesus kneels down instead of answering the question and writes on the dirt and on the dirt and we wonder what was he writing. I wonder, something a little bit different, I wonder, as he was writing, did that break in proceedings cause the woman to look at him? Maybe she was standing looking at the ground, she's been dragged in front of the ground and she's it's an incredibly shaming experience. And all of a sudden, there's this pause, this gap, this quiet, and she looks to see what's happening. And does she, does that mean Jesus catches her eye when he looks up? And if he does, what's, what's the look that she receives? Because I think there's something really liberating about the story. I think he hardly needs to say, God, you're forgiven, sin no more. Because I think there's a moment of, of an exchange, a look of compassion. And that's all conjecture, but it's what I like to imagine in that story that she sees something because Jesus looks at her with compassion and that begins to change her. So for me, my friend Richard, is that little moment for me as someone that looks at me with compassion. So I think grace begins with how God sees us, but I think it changes the world as we learn to see others the same way. Grace comes into play when we've been wronged, when others don't behave the way we would like them to, when we have to respond to other people's flaws and failures. Much the same way that I think as human beings we probably do have a natural talent for judgment and criticism, Maybe we have a natural talent for retribution, for reaction, for revenge. These seem to be behaviours that we see in ourselves, but we also see in the world. We have whole military systems built on the basis of retaliation and revenge and retribution. And we see at the moment the standoff between America and North Korea of how, how dangerous that is, how quickly things can escalate. So I suspect that's a natural place for us. Forgiveness is harder for us than unforgiveness. So I think that Jesus offers us the invitation to look differently 
and other people, just as God thinks differently, and us. These are familiar words from Matthew chapters 5 through to 7. I just picked up some little moments of what Jesus has to say about how we see other people and how we respond perhaps to their failures. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In the Lord's Prayer, he teaches his disciples to pray, forgive us our debts, for our sins, as we have forgiven our debtors. And in the passage that talks about um, bothering about the speck of dust in your brother's eye when you've got a large plank of wood in your own, Jesus says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged, and the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I think I've read those words, particularly that last set of words, often a bit like a legal contract. So if you want to be forgiven, the deal is you have to forgive. And if you don't want to be judged, then you have to um, not judge others. I've read them like a warning or a threat. Actually, I think they're probably a piece of rabbinic wisdom about how the world works. When we look through eyes of judgment and criticism and unforgiveness at the world, we will tend to experience the world as judgmental, critical and unforgiving towards us. So how we look at the world really matters actually in terms of how we experience the world as well. Not because we get what we deserve in some kind of karmic circle, and grace and mercy teaches that we don't get what we deserve, that's kind of the point. But it will be the lens, the lens that you look at other people with is pretty much the lens through which you will look at yourself. And the same judgment that you feel for yourself is the judgment that you cast out towards other people, and it's returned to you, so it's this kind of unvirtuous circle. And I think Jesus is simply, in these words, inviting us to look with different eyes and to be the first people to forgive, to, to sort of suspend our talent for judgment and criticism and to respond differently to each other, to break cycles of revenge and criticism, to show mercy. So grace begins with the inner transformation of knowing that we're loved simply because we're loved and because of that it compels us to act differently towards other people. I said these were simple points, these are truths that we know, but I think sometimes they're worth hearing and worth um, thinking about how we are in the world, how, how we are towards ourselves and how we are towards other people. Um, I have a little practical experiment and I thought I would invite you into this week. Um, it's easy for words like grace to be out there somewhere, but here's something that you could do that might help to um, begin to step into this way of being in the world. It's a very un-British experiment, so if you're not a Brit, you're ahead already. Um, if you are, you're going to have to overcome some of our cultural reserve. Um, it's an experiment called Eyes of Compassion, friend, um, and it's this, it's an invitation to say, um, to notice the instant decisions that we make about other people. So we can look at people through eyes of 
jealousy, contempt, resentment, lust, judgment, or we can look at them through eyes of grace. It's our choice. So here's the experiment. Find an hour this week and go on a walk where there'll be some other people. And your task is to intentionally make eye contact with people as you approach them, as you see them. I told you this was un-British. I've done it with a group on the South Bank. And, um, yeah, do it in a way that doesn't get you, you know, thumped. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but as you go along, um, the invitation is to notice other people, to look into their eyes, to connect, and also to pay attention to how you look at them, to what thoughts and feelings come up as you approach people, what sort of instant judgments you're making based on how that person looks, or what they're doing, or what they're standing, or who they're with. Um, and instead, to make eye contact and to pray for them. Beloved child of God, may you be well. You better go one hour this week, or on your commute, maybe not on a bus where you've got to stay with those people for the next 40 minutes, <laughs> wondering why you were staring at them. Um, but go for a walk and begin to notice how you, how you naturally respond to other people and, and try to connect, make eye contact and remind yourself that you and they are beloved children of God. I'm going to finish with um, a little script that I have written, um, which is a reflection really um, on the Beatitudes that I quoted earlier. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And it's an invitation based on that invocation of grace that Jesus gives in Matthew 5. So I'm going to suggest that we use it as a prayer. And there are some questions which I'll pause at. There are also some actions, so there's a warning, I'm probably going to switch mic. Um, you can join in with them or not join in with them um, as you feel free. But just a little space, a little moment to think, how does grace operate? in your life? How do, you, how do you think God sees you? And also, how does grace operate um, towards other people? What can you do this week to step into being that girl in the song, being the person who exudes grace everywhere they go in the world? We're still going to come up against all kinds of complexity. We come up against um, things that have to be protested and resisted and contested. Um, grace isn't, isn't in opposition to justice. Um, there are still things that we should um, speak out about in the world. There are things that we should um, fight against. There are things that we should look to change. But it's grace that prevents us as we exercise grace. It's grace that prevents us becoming the thing that we're protesting, stepping into the same thoughts of hatred or violence or opposition to other people. So it isn't antithetical to justice. We need both. We need truth and kindness, both together, as we walk through the world. So this is the invitation. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Most of us live with a sense that something inside us is broken. We don't always treat other people 
the way we want to be treated. And people don't always treat us with the love and respect we feel we deserve. Our sense of what is right and wrong is offended. How we handle these mistakes and failures really matters. We're faced with a choice. Allow our failures to define us and others. Live with self-loathing, shame and resentment. Or let go of the desire to punish and take revenge. This beatitude, this beat, invites us to give up our judging and contempt. To look at ourselves and each other through eyes of grace, kindness and compassion. Mercy dares us to believe that the truest thing about us is not that we're broken or flawed, but that we are beloved. Being merciful takes strength and courage and opens us to the possibility that we and others can grow and change. For what in your life do you need mercy? Who is in need of your forgiveness? The promise of this beatitude is that as we learn to see others through eyes of compassion, we will experience the love and unconditional acceptance we so deeply long for. Reality is that we are deeply loved. Mercy triumphs over judgment, promising us grace that goes beyond the consequences of our actions or the retribution we might feel others deserve. So right now, make the shape of a heart with your hands. Picture looking through the heart at a person you struggle with, a person you struggle to extend grace or forgiveness towards. Remembering that the person you're seeing is beloved. And imagine yourself being looked at in the same way, through that lens of kindness and love. How does it feel to be seen with such compassion, such grace? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So today we stop judging. We remember that we are beloved and we look the dove following the way of grace. Amen.